This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the New Books Network. So I guess maybe we could maybe we could start start off by um, maybe you briefly introducing yourself and then describing the like the origin of this project, like what got you thinking and critiquing chronology's role in historical okay. thinking. Um, well, so uh, by training, I'm, I'm an historian of modern Japan. And my first two books are um, on Japanese history. The first one is uh, uh, it's called Japan's Orient. And, and the subtitle, I'll come back to it, is Rendering Pass into History. And, and then the second book is New Times in Modern Japan. So in, in a sense, I've always been thinking about, um, as a historian of modern Japan, um, the problem of history and how people use pass in, in writing history. And, and um, in both books, uh, it was very clear that there's a political purpose in writing those histories. Um, and what, what I found, though, in writing those books is what I thought I was doing, which is to try and unpack how we think about history of modern Japan or and, and how history is used um, didn't happen. And instead, I mean, even though the books have been, you know, fairly successful for Japanese history books, um, I, I always felt like it was often being read within the, what I thought I was criticizing. And, and so then... Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, I actually describe, and this is leading up to why history without chronology, I, I actually describe New Times in Modern Japan, or critique of the first book, uh, because what I didn't do in the first book, because it's written within the, the complete idiom of history without even thinking about time and temporality whatsoever. And, and, and so... Um, New Times in Modern Japan was trying to think about more specifically about how time functions in the transformation from one time system to another and the writing of of, um, how that connects to what becomes the the, the national culture of Japan. Um, And then after I wrote that, I realized that I still, especially in reading the reviews, um, were were that um, I didn't accomplish the kinds of thinking that that I was hoping to accomplish. There's one undergraduate um, who came up to me after a talk, and, and, and she very meekly said, well, you know, you said you're criticizing your book and uh, for not doing these things, and I thought you were doing this, which was trying to pre- present a different way of thinking about the history of Japan. And I, I was just dumbfounded. I had this kind of shock look on my face, and, and she just looked at me and, and she said, <laughs> "Am I wrong?" This is, and I said, "No, you're absolutely right, but you're the only person who who has 
said this to me, you know, uh, among all of the academics and all of the specialists who, who read it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so then I began to, to think, you know, I, that, um, and I and increasingly, you know, the time and past were always consistent, constant throughout my research. Um, and then I realized that I had to unpack those. Uh, and I started doing a lot of reading on time and temporality, um, and um, yeah, and then that led me to the conclusion that chronological time is the problem that that kept me within the field of history, even though I was trying to critique certain parts about that history. Uh, and, and, and so history without chronology was an attempt of me trying to work out, um, why it is that we are trapped. Um, and yeah, and, and so that's where, uh, I, I kind of remain today. I've, um, I, I'm trying to write now on kind of the so what question so so if we have if if, if Stefan Tanaka is right and of course I'm always right right we're, we're all, all academics <laughs> think that we're right um, but you know if if and, and I'm you know here I'm just being facetious but but there's a lot of people who now recognize that that the time system that we're using which is connected to the enlightenment, is decreasingly appropriate or opposite for today's worlds. And, and there's a lot of, we could cite a whole bunch of different work on that. So it's, it's not that I'm you know, unique here. But then, so what happens to history and is it less important or is it more important? By thinking about history using multiple times and, and problematizing the chronological structure that we use. And I would argue that history then becomes a lot of fun and much more interesting and liberating um, by, uh, by opening it up. Now, opening it up also raises questions well, of, of, of certainty, right? Right, yeah. But my reaction to that is, is that, look, man, is there any certainty in the world today that this – kind of world history structure has given us. And, and we think of the major problems of the world, uh, and, and they're all connected to chronological forms of thinking about how the world and human societies operate. To me, that's a huge amount of uncertainty. <laughs> um, even, even though we use that and try and, and, and solve the problems that, that it creates itself. So, um, it, it's, it, in a sense, it goes back to, um, uh, and this is why I, I mentioned the subtitle, highlighted the subtitle of Japan's Orient, is I'm still thinking about this, what is the relationship between the past or pass and history, the writing of history? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the plurality there. Right, yeah. and um, and so I just uh, I just finished a paper, um, it, 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 and it was I, I called it "What Can Pass Do?" Or the past as plural, and, and thinking about them, that if we have a, a notion of multiple times, which is part of the argument of history without chronology, if we have multiple times. Then we have to think about different ways that they interact and, and what they do and, and the inputs and the outputs, the connections, the influences are, are much more varied and specific to the moment. Well, my, you know, it, it, that to me is how my life operates. My life doesn't operate according to the historical structure that historians have created about history. Um, and, um, and so th- those, you know, so what I'm doing now is I'm trying to figure out, you know, can I write examples or, or the so what questions about 
a history without chronology. Right. I I feel like there's there's so much there that we could that we could go off of. Um, I guess I'm kind of curious as to what you mean by like how that impacts your personal experience. Like what what, what do you mean by like how you experience time? Well, um, so so one way is, is that. And, and if you think about the, the the methodology of history, the methodology of history is is built upon a distrust of individual experience. Hmm. Even though we talk about writing about experience, historians the we, um, and the distrust of, of experience is that well, we have to we have to find out ways that that event and what that person says is what really happened. Right. Uh, And experience is subjective. And somehow we we have to find some some way to to kind of ground that or or kind of understand that subjectivity as a, a, a a, re- a good representation of, I, I hate to say the word objective, I'm trying to avoid that one. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and so much of history is built upon the minimization of human variability. Um, and that's what leads to the separation of history from people's experience. So, so people will, will say, you know, uh, you know, the, I really enjoy reading about this person's life or that person's life, but you know, I don't have a history like that. As if it, it's not important enough, therefore, or, or it's not mm. verifiable through documents, therefore, it's not an important part of the past that has significance to a whole bunch of people's lives, right? And maybe communities. Um, so, so there, there's that part of experience, and and then you know there's the part of experience where, um, and my shorthand way of saying it is that my career is linear and historical. My life as I live it is is chaotic and complex, and, and I don't think very many people would disagree with me if they think about you know no, their yeah. own life. But why, why does history have to separate itself from that kind of complexity that constitutes our lives? And, and so that's what, what, what I mean. You know, and, and finally, um, in, in teaching, um, you know, I, 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 well, I've taught for over 30, almost 40 years. Um, and, and originally I would teach large lectures. I'd go in there and I'd, you know, I'd, give these quote-unquote brilliant lectures and, and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, I thought they were well-crafted lectures and with lots of good information and interpretation, nada, nada, nada. Um, and, you know, I, I also recognized that what my students remembered after the class was not necessarily what I lectured on. They might have remembered something that happened in the class that was – a, a certain kind of moment or that, that I dressed funny one day or, you know, did something or, um, or they might've remembered an off the cuff statement, but rarely do they learn and, and remember the, the stuff of the history that, that you're, you're teaching. Um, so, so then I, I, I decided, you know, and, 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 and I've been, uh, at the latter part of my career, I started, um, working with, um, with people who actually know pedagogy, <laughs> you know that's that's the the, the 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 it's not a secret of, of of academic teaching is that most of us are we're never trained how to teach or what good methods yeah, are, right. um, mm-hmm. and uh, I started um, uh, I, I I I stopped lecturing, uh, and, and the class that that. I actually liked the most in terms of teaching historical material was a class that I used where I used, uh, I call them comic books, but they're really manga. 
um, like Mizuki Shigeru's History of Showa. It's a four-volume set. And, and I have the students read that and then come in and ask questions about that. You know, did this really happen? What did you think about this? What is the connection between what he's writing here, his experience? And he went to war or he went to um, Papua New Guinea. Um, and, and, and so you could bring in the war, the fighting, the, the strategy. You could bring in all of the, the history events. But they're reading it through the, the lens of Mizuki as a grunt soldier or the citizen trying to, you know, every so often this thing would happen in the news and it, it might affect um, his home life or something. And so it inverted it. But what it did is it gave students um, kind of a, a, a mnemonic upon which then they could attach different kinds of historical moments. And I always felt that they learned history better, even mm-hmm. through the comic and the discussions that we would have about, you know, why this is historical, than on uh, than when I gave the lecture itself. Even though I might have said the same thing, the way that they experienced the material. Um, gave them a different kind of, uh, several different ways to hang on to or gave meaning to that material. So that's experience in a different sense. And, and, and that's where I think history can be a lot more fun and interesting if, um, you know, you teach it um, using a variety of materials. You know, you know for example, I mean, uh, I think John Lewis's, I don't know if you've seen John Lewis's uh, trilogy, um, the march. It's about his experience in, in the civil rights movement. You know, I, I, I just, I, I just think it's 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 a terrific way to get students engaged in the civil rights movement through the the eyes of. I mean, you know, unfortunately, he's now passed away, but of this congressman. Um, who, when when he was young, he was an activist, and um, you know, there 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 are different kinds of life events that that have more meaning to for the students today than getting up there and and, and lecturing on why the civil rights movement, key events of the civil rights movement. Now, I I just I. I, I, I you know, this is not the only way to do it, and you can only do it in certain kinds of occasions. Um, but it, it's a way of recognizing that perspective, experience, are central parts of understanding the past and its significance to us today, rather than pretending that perspective doesn't make any difference. And so, you know, that's... Um, Experience is an interesting thing, um, hard to get grasp at. But um, I, I've been heavily influenced by, um, and, and, and this is a serendipity of, of a career. It is in the early part of my career, I encountered, encountered this uh, movement of, of, of people um, who were engaged in what then was called cultural psychology. And it was, it was basically bringing, psycho- bringing culture to psychology because psychology was basically just a, a bunch of clinical studies about the middle-class American college student, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, it, it still remains important to me um, because the, the people who did it, and these were Mike Cole, who was my colleague here at UCSD, but I happened to meet him uh, before when I was at a different place. Uh, Jim Wirch, we were at Clark together, and he was here at San Diego, and then I came to San Diego. So there's this really interesting connections. Um, but they worked from this uh, Russian uh, um, psychologist in, in, into what's now called situated learning or situated practices. I mean, and it, it's filtering its way in, into some complex systems theory in, in, in different ways. Um, but it's a recognition that um, learning I- I involves different 
kind of levels of scaffolding. And, and you know, and, and you could present this brilliant book to, to people, but they're going to, as they read it, they're going to pick up what is familiar to them. And they're not going to pick up what is unfamiliar, which might be, as far as the author is concerned, the most important parts. Um, and, and, and so, you know, that's you know, a, a kind of a, a stupid thing that I did. Stupid because it was, well, I, I wrote my second book thinking that, that, you know, people get the most out of it if they read it twice. Now, that's really stupid, thinking that somebody's going to read a book twice, right? You're lucky to get somebody to read a book once. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I, I wrote it thinking that, you know, okay, what I'm trying to do is, is, is come up with a different kind of conceptual structure. And then that could set the scaffold for a different kind of uh, 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 an argument that, that has a little bit more depth and explanation. Um, well, I feel like there's something to say there about like the 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 form of the thing that you're trying to make. I mean, a point that you make in in your book is that like there's an impact. Like this is more towards the end. Like there's like the the media or like how you're telling history like can really change how you understand history and time. So it sounds like that's kind of like what you were doing with flipping how you were lecturing and using like a comic book instead, like this, like that change of form and like using a story rather than, you know, lecturing about like dates and places really made an impact on like how your students were, you know, engaging with, with, with history. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, you know, and this gets, gets us into the digital in the digital age. Yeah, I was going to have it. Yeah, I had a question about like how how does like the digital age like change or makes us reconsider our relationship to history? Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, but um, well, so so one is that, you know, I became an historian when I discovered I did not have to memorize names, dates and places. (laughs) And and you you could become a professional. Really enjoying history. Well, that's <laughs> that, a stereotype, that, right? That concept is like feeling like I need to learn that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I would argue that that names, dates, and places are very often important, but they're not why why history is interesting, and they're not why history um, is important. Um, right. It's like times tables for math. Excuse me. It's like it's good to know, but. It's like learning your times tables for math. It's like yeah. you should know them, but it's not, you know, that's not the fun part. Yeah, it, you know, it's important for people to know, like especially today, um, you know, where different parts of the Middle East are. I mean, they don't have to know that the exact places are. And it's important to know, you know, within decades of what happened, whether one thing happened before right. or after another or something like that. Um, but memorizing the date as if therefore you know is, is a different level of, of expectation, right? One's a matter of, like the times table, it's a matter of location and having some kind of basis. Um, but the other one then is, well, it's important for all these other reasons of what you can do with it rather than just that you know it. And, and um, so history then, when I learned that, that history, it, you know, is interpretation and um, in, 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 by studying Japan, I mean, I, there's two ways to study Japan as far as I'm concerned. One is to accept Japan as the exotic of the, the Far East, of the Orient, and, and things like that, which it is. Or you could study Japan as um, a, a place having that has all sorts of issues in in trying to negotiate its 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 interaction with the broader world, which throughout the, the 19th and 20th century had been and still is hegemonic. And by hegemonic here, I'm talking about Western civ, imperialism, colonialism, and all these other things. Um, and then, but then you could see that that. Then history, and this is you know Japan's Orient and New Times. Um, history is is critical to trying to negotiate those positions. But but when you recognize that that, that 
that utility of history. It's not, not so much that it's factual, but it's used for specific reasons at specific times. I mean, this is like Putin saying that Ukraine was never independent of Russia. I mean, mean, Russia now has a history where Ukraine was always a part of Russia. Well, you know, that that, that has a politics and perspective along that line. We could find the same kinds of issues going on in the Middle East right now, Um, at least in, in, in the news today, they're talking more about um, the past prior to the, the Hamas invasion, oh, rather than the Hamas invasion as the explosion of everything, which it was. But there's also more. And so increasingly, uh, <laughs> the more prolonged it gets, uh, people are beginning to recognize the complexity and the possibility and the dangers of, of history and, and interpretation and perspective. But that's why it's so important. And that's why, you know, that's also why I find it so fun um, to, 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 to recognize that. Um, but anyway, uh, we're in a society now where, and, and, and this is true in the profession too, where I feel like the, the profession, despite protestation to the otherwise, is, is you know is, is still wants to hold on to some kind of notion of certainty and truth. Right. Uh, that kind of gets me to a question of like maybe backing up a little bit is like how history has like merged with like that idea of chronology and how that's like limited historical thinking. It sounds like you're getting at it a little bit a little bit there. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of. I don't want to say it's simple, um, <laughs> but you know, the, the the attempt during the Enlightenment to to, to find the universal truth, to, to to find the 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 kind of the holy grail of how all the world is connected, um, mm-hmm. was was you know this the possibility of not of, of creating a knowledge system. Of everything went along with then this idea that history is a, a way to organize the variability of the different places on the on in the world um, and simple being you know Hegel came up with the world history and, and as much as we deny you know I say Hegel's not important anymore well you know we still <laughs> operate within a structure of world history um, you know you'll, you'll, we, we try we've changed the words you know we don't use the word oriental anymore but Asia is often the synonym for it we still use some version of the primitive in language like the third world, and now we call it the developing world. Well, sometimes the developing world is, is in, in some areas more developed than the developed world, right? But, but, but their social system or, or, or their conceptual system will, will handle problems in different ways that might be just as, if not more sophisticated, than you know, our, our rational modern world. I mean, so it doesn't mean that that, that ordering system needs to say it. And, and but that's that's where chronological time has merged with history or how history then became a part of that uh, chronology but that history is hierarchical you know and it's hierarchical um, you know it's I mean, the first Gulf War I mean we're gonna we're gonna help them become democ- we're gonna democratize them I mean Gosh, um, no, it, the idea that all cultures will become like us, right, or yeah. should become like us, um, and, and, and you know the chutzpah of that, and just kind of the, the conceit of that is just absolutely remarkable. Um, but that's history in combination with chronology, um, and, and the other thing about chronology that is important here is that the Newtonian notion of time is based upon physics of the movement of a mass that's 
that's altered by some input, and and that leads to change. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that have that kind of notion of, of movement have to do with how human societies operate? None whatsoever, right? I mean, we're bi- you know the we're biological organisms. Our, our societies are are different kinds of quite complex or, or, organisms of some sort, social organisms. Or, um, and, and so we use a metric for, for of physics to try and, and understand and control organic systems. It just doesn't work. I mean, if, if, if you were to say today, I mean, what's your background in, in you say, in science? Are you in biology or, or in, in the physical sciences? Uh, yeah, I studied biochemistry and math. Okay, well, you know, so you're, you're, you're both of it, and, and we probably yeah. have different questions yeah. at the same time. I mean, why do we use this formula to study this thing when we're always trying to, having to readjust it for this and that and kind of thing? Um, you know, and, and, and so... Um, if we had to create a, a kind of metric for society today, would we use Newtonian physics? I really doubt that we would, because you know, it's so uh, ontologically, quite frankly, it's just so alien to the biological right. organic systems. Um, but that's what we use. And, it, and, and that makes it into a technocratic metric because everything has to be measured, right? And that measurement is, is again, mechanical and, and, and objectivistic, right. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the science of the, the use of chronological time was, was wonderful for, for the, the 19th century. Because it led to different kinds of organizations, different ways of thinking about things. Um, and, and in the 20th century, is the fruits of that labor, whereas the, the other things that it led to were, were what? Exploration, imperialism, colonialism, and wars. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, here we are again. Um, so... Um, yeah, like kind of being kind of being stuck in a place of using using power to reinforce like a certain narrative or like a certain a type of type of thinking. But I mean, kind of getting to the the, the the science behind that or that you know is tied along with those um, like social cultural movements of the enlightenment and kind of how we're stuck there. Right. Um, like you, you also note that, you know, like relativity and thermodynamics and quantum mechanics, like they don't work under those systems. Like it's a completely different type of, of time and of science really that like really alters how people think about really a, a lot of things, you know, like a lot of philosophy has changed under the, like knowing that quantum mechanics can cause uncertainty and there can be like two things in two places at the same time. Um, so I guess I'm just kind of wondering like how those scientific findings have influenced how we think about time. And like, if, if there is like sort of like a paradigm shift happening um, in other, other fields like history. I, I, I well, I hope there is, uh, but I, I'm skeptical um, you know, one of the things that um, one of the reactions I have heard fr- from various places about my work and my book is, you know, aren't you exaggerating the um, the limitations of history? And, and you know, don't you have a straw man here uh, rather than what historians actually do? Um, and you know, I mean, what uh, I, I, my response to it is, well, you need to separate the structure within which historians are operating and the intent of historians. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so then they would ask, well, what are some examples of, of books that, that were, were are critical but still fall within what the, the system itself? 
that's why I started with Japan's Orient and New Times. Is you know when, when they were published, they were relatively important books, and, and they've been more or less the better books in Japanese history, modern Japanese history. Um, but I see them as, as as a failure, not as the failure to write a good history book, but a, a failure in, into accomplishing the kind of critique of history that I had intended. And, and that's where I think a lot of us uh, have fallen back into, where you know we're we're, we're trying to, to to critique history using the structure of history itself. And that's why history of chronology is, is an attempt to say, okay, you know, this structure has built in limitations and biases that we have to recognize. Um, and and you know, I, 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 the talk I just gave uh, a couple months ago, a couple people questioned me about, well, you know, I, I think you're, you're arguing that historians, you know, what, what you're arguing for, historians already do. And I said, you know, my reaction to that was just, well, they're trying to do it, uh, but, but they're, they're, they're not getting to what, quite frankly, uh, are the fundamental problems. And, and, and another word that I, I don't like using for, uh, because of... <laughs> It's overused, but it's the epistemology. It's we have to think of how our knowledge mm-hmm. system itself is part of the problem now, rather than operating within the problem system to kind of correct things within it. Right. So I guess maybe that kind of ties into like a question or like a Kind of like how we started before before we we started recording was talking about that um, like Serto I don't know how to pronounce it. that's yeah, like Sir how Tom. you pronounce his name Serto um, and how he has this or you 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 quote this line about mystics and how they're um, sort of I don't I don't have the quote written down but it's something about like um, how they reorganize places or they like create this reorganization of a structure for people to communicate in like the breakdown of a system or something like that. And I feel like that's kind of like what you're, you're calling for is for this shift in the structure of how to communicate, I guess in in this case um, history, but I think just like any scholarly communication probably likely has limitations and needs critiqued if it's, you know, using this um, perhaps outdated system of like chronological time in terms of ordering everything. Um, So I guess I'm kind of wondering how can historians or scholars or society and academia like create these shifts without like, you know, having a total collapse, like you mentioned earlier (laughs) about people like wanting certainty and like there there's, you know, I think that's, there's something there that maybe, maybe because I'm a scientist too, that like, it's just nice to have, but like, so like, how do you like really create that, that shift from like knowing that you're not operating in the perfect or like most optimal way, like creating that bridge towards something that's like more effective or more like appropriate for like what you're studying? Um, uh, you know, I, I wish I could, give you a good answer for that. Um, but that goes back to my, my response that um, we, we know more and more problems we understand um, are emerging because our, our, our ways of understanding how things work um, are, are far more incomplete than we've, we've allowed, the, than we've recognized. Um, or that, that, I don't want to say they're wrong, but they're so reductive that it, it, it gives a false sense of certainty, quite frankly. Right. You call that like a mythology. I think a right. lot, a few times in the book, you refer to that as like a mask or a myth. It, it, to me, it is. It, 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 it absolutely is. And um, you know, it's, um, 
you know, the idea that, uh, you know, or, you know, climate change, um, uh, you know, we know it's happening. I mean, the science is pretty clear, but it, at all sorts of different levels, the social, political, and cultural willingness to, to deal with it is variable, I guess is the, the best possible word. You know, the, you know, I just read in the paper where all the countries that, that have supported the, the, the limitation of, of warming to 1.5 degrees are now expanding drilling. You know, great news, right? <laughs> um, and you know, it's the, the 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 kind of disconnect. I mean, these so the that these are not technological problems, but the, these are problems of a calculus. But it's a calculus where we don't recognize that there's a different process set off by the the drilling and use of petrochemicals for all these different purposes that has an effect, but it's not an effect that's immediately measurable as our economic system allows it to be or or requires it to be. But we now know that the effect is huge. Um, It's a cultural problem. It's a cultural and and, and conceptual problem. It's not a technological problem. But what do we do? We go back to the technology. And we just try and avoid these problems. So, um, you know, that, that's a hard thing to do. Um, but my, my answer to, to your question is that, you know, the, the first step is, is to admit it, to recognize the limitations of our epistemology, in, in, in my specific case, on the way that chronological time has, has given us a very particular way of understanding the relationships of different places and how they interact. And those different places don't have to be nation states, but that's the one we use. And how they interact doesn't have to be measured by economic power, extraction of of natural resources. I mean, they could be measured by all sorts of different things. Um, and, And so... Uh, to me, a lot of it is to bring those different things back to the table to be discussed rather than to say, well, you know, that's, that's just a cultural problem. Well, you know, the bad news is just the cultural problems are really, really difficult not to crack, right? And to me, that's, I don't want to disparage scientists, but, but, but you know, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, it's just, I, I just cringe every time they say, well, it's a cultural problem. And I think, yeah, but that's why it's so important. That's why you have to consider these other things because no matter what you do, if you don't consider that that the cultural side of it, you know, you, you could build these things and, and you know, you can end up with a Newton, the Apple Newton or something rather than you know, something that's more successful. I feel like that, that, that kind of gets back to like what we were talking about a little bit before we were recording about um, like the issues of scholarly publishing and how it's like really challenging to create shifts towards like more open and equitable and um, sustainable publishing practices. It's just like you people when they're publishing academic texts, like they weren't, they weren't thinking about culture and they weren't thinking about these other things. They were thinking about certain metrics like citations and certain metrics like, you know, they're just so focused on like presenting the things that they found that they weren't thinking about, you know, how to build um, like social infrastructure around that thing to, you know, make it applicable right. year after year, you know, decade after decade or, you know, even, even further. Um, and something that you also said there, um, I didn't thought about this until just now about just like how, how having a, a different conception of time doesn't like changes how we think about and how probably we like perform historical thinking, but also like how we interact with the future. You know, you're talking about climate change. Right. No, it's, it's, um, 
you know, history is all about trying to make smart decisions for the present. And, and that present is always the future or was the future, right? In a sense. Right. Even though it's not the, the distant future, it's always, there's, there's always a level of anticipation in that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, to me, that's why history is so important, is to recognize that history is not just about this dead past of nation states and famous, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully, no, we're no longer just doing famous men, um, but um, even famous, you know, women. I mean, did, so many important people, so many people have done important things that have gone unrecognized, and we're, we're always trying to recognize those who have been unrecognized. Um, but can't we build a different way? understanding where we don't have that that kind of juxtaposition of important and unimportant but you know every act is meaningful but at a certain level in some cases a, a meaningless act becomes meaningful because of certain kinds of interactions that take place and, and vice versa right you know a lot of things that we predict are going to be you know huge events turn out to be nothing for example um and, and and that's to me that that requires us to think about the full past rather than the historical past, and that's why I use the, the plural past rather than mm-hmm. the past. Um, and um, you know, and, and and for when you're teaching, you know, you think about you know. All, all and you think about learning. All of our decisions about and or how we learn embeds and builds upon what we've learned before. Right. And that, mm-hmm. that's both historical as well as experience, as well as kind of memories. And mm-hmm. all, all jumbled together. Um, so why do we separate them? Or, or, or well, I shouldn't say why do we separate them, but, but why do we distinguish one as more important than another? Right. You know, they, they, they interact. And and, and in that sense, um, yeah, to me, if, if you teach, you know, if you allow people to understand that, that learning occurs variably, um, people see different things of the same event. You know, and these are all proven psychological, you know, the, the, there's the gorilla. You, you've heard about the gorilla, uh, you know, kind of entering the room. Right. Um, you know, and it's amazing that it's replicated, and it's, even though people know it, it's, it still happens. Right. Um, so you know, there's something, there's something there. But you know, when when people understand that, then it leads to, you're right, you're I'm wrong, but oh, there's you know, how come you came to this conclusion? What what about this conclusion? I mean, you have to have a, a little bit more of a, a discussion about the variation that exists, right? To me, that's that's a goal of a democratic system. Yeah, quite frankly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but getting people to recognize, you know, you know, you know what it was, there was another article in the paper where, you know, humanities departments are, or kind of divisions are, are yet again under, under the, the um, acts in, in, in different states. I, the idea that, that um, you know, these are our window dressing kind of fields. It's not essential mm-hmm. to the functioning of, of, of a vibrant society. It, it just blows my mind. I mean, it's not the, it's not the world that I grew up in. Um, it's not my profession. Um, but, but, you know, it, you know it, 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 to me, it, 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 you just look out there and... and um, it's clear that, that we have to think about other ways of, of, of thinking about right and wrong uh, of, 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 and, and, and move towards different levels of variation and perspective. And so, you know, very much um, the things that I'm trying to do now are, are, are things like how can history be, Another word that I don't want to, I don't like using better, but how could history be uh, something that people recognize as being of a, a greater utility at all mm-hmm. sorts of different levels mm-hmm. in, in their lives and in our societies? 
Uh, but that requires history to be more than what history, the, the discipline is. So comic books um, <laughs> or, uh, you know, using you know, different kinds of, of uh, imagery, of, you know, texts, different narratives. Storytellings come back, which is, is, is a wonderful uh, thing. Um, you know, so, so a lot of, so these things are starting to happen in some levels, but... Uh, and when I talk about, I left the part about, I really cut short the stuff on comics in my talk off. But that's, that was the part that I wanted. I really, it raises questions about learning and knowing. And it raises questions about the need and this is getting back to again the digital but you know in the digital age we're not we're no longer in the textual age in the digital age and you know right. we're engaged on this kind of conversation now which if you just do a transcript of the talk I mean I'm going to my, my talk's going to be kind of well, it's going to be bad um, but with <laughs> your good editing or, or whatever you know it, it'll sound somewhat coherent um, but you know it's it's you, you're you know the, the the good thing about that is you recognize that, that people are, have, as they're talking, you know, the, the, they're they're processing at the same time, right? And not everything is prepared and neat and tidy and, and, and whatnot. That that's okay, you know. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite part about these conversations. Is just like, yeah, just getting to you know, discuss the ideas like on the fly and really dive deep in some of the, some of the topics. Um, but I think maybe that maybe this is a good place to end. Cause you, you kind of mentioned like the, like the, the positive parts of where you see history going in terms of in, including more storytelling and different types of digital media. Um, but I, I guess I'm also kind of curious as to why given, given that, um, given your appreciation for those types of um, historical communication, like why, why did you choose to do like a long form text for history without chronology? Or do you have like other projects that are like non text versions for, for your future critiques of history? <laughs> um so history without chronology. This, this is there's. I think there's a paragraph in the introduction. Um, history without chronology started. Um, well, from me engaging in a digital project, and 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 you could. I think it's still up. It's it's 1984. Uh, 1884. Ucsd. Edu. 1884, just the numbers, the year, .ucsd.edu. And what I was trying to do was trying to think about tearing apart history. And history is, is, is data categories and interpretation. And then, and then see how then we could arrange them in different ways. And, and, and so then history could be read in different ways. And there's no such thing as a short and easy digital project. <laughs> so I thought, you know, you know I'll spend six or 12 months on this and I'll, I'll get something done and, and, and I'll be back to my real work. Um, well, you know, it's still there. And, and there's one thing I discovered, and this is also what led me into scholarly communications. Um, but but um, I'm, I've, I've participated in and I've, I've actually directed um, a lab, a, a, kind of the psychology lab, um, but I'm not a good collaborative uh, lab kind of operator who builds projects and teams. I, I'm trained as I, an iconoclast, uh, and you know, learning collaboration is learning collaboration. You know, you, mm -hmm. you just don't collaborate and do it well. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, because we're all good at this, or we're all human and social. Um, 
And so part of the problem was, um, you know, I, I couldn't build the project. I ran into technical, technological problems. Uh, you know, I, I, I was trying to get, I, I wanted a, a non-relational database. And when I talked to people about it, you know, I would either get questions like, why? Um, you know, because relational databases, you have to define your categories before you build it, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the beginning of doing a database. But that's the problem of history is if you predefine your categories, you've already determined what your answers are. Yep. And, 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 then, and then so when people understood what I wanted to do, you know, I, I got one response was, well, that's too hard. I mean, and it is hard because, you know, the, the, uh, it's with, with computing power, it's probably not necessary anymore. But, but I wanted to be able to, to manipulate the categories based upon the, the data that's in there. Now, now you could just do a, a, an n-gram or a word-gram or, or a wordle, and, and you could pretty much get the stuff that I wanted out of it. But um, So I ran into those kind of technical problems. Um, and, and I also ran into uh, problems of uh, uh, grantmanships. So I would write grant proposals and I would get uh, to, to like the NEH. Right. And, and, and my grades were usually A and an F. You know, conceptually, this is, this is great. This is new. We, we haven't seen anything like this before. We should do it. Technologically, there, there's nothing new here. Well, that's exactly right. But, mm -hmm. but the, you know, because you're getting technologists eh, to, to also do us, they were looking for the new and the greatest and everything like that. So there's that. And then, you know, you know I'd, I'd love to write a comic book, a historical comic book. But I can't write the comic book. It's a collaborative right. project of finding the right kind of uh, artist. And, and, you know, and I don't even know if I could do the storyboarding. Because it's a different kind of writing. So it's, this is a very long-winded way of saying that history of chronology, the interesting thing about history without chronology is that it's an arguing for, a, a, it's a book arguing for history at, in a different kind of conceptual structure. Yeah, a manifesto. <laughs> okay. But it's written in the, man, in, in the format that, you know, you're trying to move away from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and and that's um, yeah that that's certainly one of the limitations of it. And and you know I had hoped that uh, th this is the other part about the digital, which is you know for the longest time, and, and you I'm sure you've been you've been there for a long time, but you, you know and, and you alluded to this, you build the tool, and then people will see its value and they'll come and start using it. It doesn't work that way in academia. You know, and, no. and, and so when the, the book was published, I, I was hoping that um, we, uh, well, we, we built um, a hypothesis engine on it. And so people could just kind of comment on it. And then the, the, you know, my, my, my hope was that in about five years, the comment stream mm -hmm. would be both corrective and addition to what I wrote. And so then there would be a hypo, uh, uh, HWC 2.0, which is independent of what I wrote, or, or, or independent of me, but is based upon 1.0. Mm -hmm. Now, that again is like my, my idea of writing a book to be read twice. It, it, it depends upon yeah, somebody yeah. reading the book and then taking the time to comment on these things, right? which doesn't happen. Well, maybe the, the release of this podcast will bring more people to, to do that. <laughs> well, I hope so. Well, we'll put links down below and everyone will everyone will do it. <laughs> or at least, you know, they'll check it out. Maybe they'll they'll feel compelled to engage. Well, I hope so. I you know the, the potential is there. Um, right. Yeah. But you know, when I stopped doing I, I stopped actively doing scholarly communications meetings and work. Um, you know, I concluded then that, that what we need is, is a series of mandates 
and carrots. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've not done the mandates well at all. Uh, and the mandates have to be from academic organizations and university and promotion and tenure decisions. Yeah. Promotion and tenure is big. I mean, at least the the there's like that Nelson memo that came out last year that's like mandating that scholarly research, publicly funded scholarly research needs to be open access by I can't remember what year, but I think that's that's definitely a big a big push in the US at least to get more things open. But yeah, what that looks like, it might just be more static PDFs, which would be yeah, yeah, but even that would be an advantage. Thank you for taking the time to, you know, talk with me about your book and, you know, everything else that we ended up talking about as well. Well, thank you, Sarah.